filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Ben, we need wholesome content. Give us wholesome content. Sure. I wanted to shout out uh, listener Jake, who uh, I was having lunch with a friend uh, last week, and he uh, recognized me by voice when we were at Bell Cafe in here in Mechanicsville, Virginia. Shout out to Bell Cafe, by the way, if you're looking for a good bite to eat out here. They're not sponsoring us, so, but I'm just I just like the place. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to give Jake a shout out. Sorry that I was awkward because I am an awkward person, but uh, thanks for coming up and saying hey. I also have wholesome content. Uh, my seven-year-old uh, is playing in her first organized soccer league, and she scored her first goals this weekend, and it was wonderful. She was happy. I was happy. I think I was more excited than she was, but... Um, she would have scored earlier had a little girl not like they, they play four on four, no goalies. And uh, another kid on the goal line just bent down and picked the ball up when it was on the way in. Um, like she would have she would have scored more except for that. Um, she did. There was a it's continuous play. And so parents sometimes get over eager when they think the ball goes out and they throw a second ball in the field to keep play going. But the first ball is still live. So she was the beneficiary of a second ball that she just walked into the goal when everyone else was playing on the first ball. But then she scored with the real ball twice. Uh, so uh, it was a lot of fun. I managed to get one of them on video. I was I was very happy. Um, Jason, do you have any wholesome content or should we just go to uh, the show? Well, your, your st- I, I was going to say no, but your story just shook loose a very modest. Uh, one of the few times that I was filmed playing soccer as a child. Um, my uncle Ed showed up with a camcorder that he bought for the reason anyone in the eighties in their early twenties might've bought one, which was like, I can record moving images. And then, you know, <laughs> most of them aren't very good or interesting. Um, but he came to a game and I, I, the only reason I remember this happening is because I saw the video later. Um, but my team was playing a game. This was like, again, this level of early kids soccer, though this was still like, the field was large and we had goalkeepers because no one had figured out how to have youth soccer in a functioning manner. But at some point in the game, I, I guess I got frustrated that like the mob of kids around the ball was just never break. The ball was never popping loose. So nothing else was, it was just the same thing over and over mm-hmm. and I got bored. And so at some point I just, I was near the, the group of kids getting like frustrated and I just sat down. Like I just sat down on the field uh, cross-legged and was like, I'm going to sit here. And then the ball came out and I got up and I was like, okay, we can continue. Um, But you sat down in protest. Yeah. Like I, like I was just like, until we start playing this game in my, on my terms, I'm not participating. Um, Which is an awesome, like six or seven year old thing to do. So that's uh, a memory I have, or a memory of watching a video of myself uh, do this thing. I I don't remember doing it. I like the thing about most 
six and seven year olds playing soccer is they get distracted by a passing butterfly yes or quite literally or, or yes that that is a thing that happens or their mom tells them not to get their nice clean uniform too dirty and so they run around the mud pit or stand to the side <laughs> of the goal because it's right. muddy in front of the goal well, mud. yeah i was that, told not to get me that, that was a kid on my team is the goalie would stand to the left of the post mm-hmm. because the middle of the goal was dirty and his mom told him not to get dirty <laughs> Um, but, but Jason, when you were a child, you were like, no, this game of soccer is not tactically sound. I will sit down and protest. (laughs) Another, uh, a kid like this, uh, like your goalkeeper, we had this kid named Clark. I might've even told this story on the podcast at this point, because we've been around for so long. This kid named Clark always wanted to play defense. It was always like, who wants to play defense and hands would go up and he would always put his hand up. So he would go out. And he would take up his spot where he thought he should if we were playing three or four or whatever. He would go stand in one of the defensive spots, and then he would not move from that position during the course of the entire, the entire time he's on the field. <laughs> wouldn't move. Um, he would very much sub himself on and off, and it seemed like he was having a good time. But once the game once the, the game began, he did not move. And he was positionally sound is what you're saying. <laughs> uh, well, somehow this ended up being disruptive to the other team because, like, I guess even at a rudimentary level, you're expecting the defender to like go to the ball sometime and he just wouldn't do it. So the ball would hit him and become our ball, but he would, but again, he wouldn't do anything. (laughs) If it hit him and fell to his feet, he wouldn't pass it to you. He would just stand there continuing to stand. Um, And he wasn't like not paying attention. He was, he was aware. He was intensely standing still. Right. Like if the ball was coming at him, it was going to hit him like maybe in the head, he would duck or, or like try to move. So it didn't hit him in the face or anything, but that was it. And so it was just like a fact of life on our team that it was like, you can, you can't yell at Clark. You can encourage him to join in the game. Uh, and he will, if he wants, but he never did. Um, even I, I remember, don't remember him doing this at practice either, which just makes it even stranger. So, uh, <laughs> shout out to Clark. I hope you figured out soccer to your, your satisfaction at some point. Or maybe you already had. Maybe that was all you ever wanted out of it. Uh, so I hope you had fun. Hey, hey, it's filibuster. The hey, I, I completely stepped on myself because I was thinking about Clark just standing still. Hey, hey, welcome in. It's filibuster, <laughs> the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we talk about DC United. And... um that's what we're doing tonight. We've got a, another one nothing loss to break down a, against the Philadelphia Union from this past weekend. And uh, later this week, you can listen to us preview DC United's trip to face Inter-Miami. That game will happen Saturday night, 8 p.m. Watch it on NBC Sports Washington or Teleexitos. Stream it online at dcunited.com if you are in the immediate local area or ESPN Plus if you are uh, further afield. Before we talk about anything, though, Ben, what are you drinking? I'm feeling a little under the weather tonight, so I am going with Key Lime La Croix. I I feel like uh, Aldi can get, like, strange uh, uh, flavors of La Croix. Mm. They usually just have one flavor, and it's, like, not one you typically see in other grocery stores. And this time around, it was Key Lime. Okay. I didn't really like the key lime when I had it, um, but I don't remember exactly why. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, Jason, after you mentioned that the limoncello was something you wanted to find, uh, I did find it at my local. 
grocery store and bought that and another six pack or 12 pack, whatever it was for uh, my wife who had requested uh, some. And I, I usually try to get two flavors knowing that one of them will probably be acceptable at that mm -hmm. point. Um, and so it happened to be teacher appreciation week the following week at school. So she chose from the two, which one to keep. And then she gave the limoncello one to the teachers and the feedback got back to us. They said, thank you. You gave us a good flavor. <laughs> so, so that worked out nice. pretty well for me. Uh, what are you drinking, Jason? Uh, well, I just finished the remnants of a, one of these weird sized bottle of cherry Cokes or cherry bottles of cherry Coke. I'm holding it up to you guys as if our listeners are going to care. I don't know what these. Is that a one are. liter bottle? What is that? It's a 1.06 pint bottle. <laughs> it's 16.9 ounces. I don't know. Okay. It, that that seems to scale. be the standard size now. Like that's what most water bottles seem to come in now. Like okay. it's smaller than the 20 ounce. Right. But yeah. There there was a sale and I was like, I, I can drink one cherry Coke every once in a while uh, at this price. I, I accept these com it, the combination of things. It's half a liter. Okay. Okay. Perfect. It. So one half liter of cherry Coke. Well, I was finishing the remnants of it because the rest of it went into a glass with some bourbon. Uh, I guess I'm filling, I'm filling Ben's role. I feel like uh, with this drink in a certain way. Um, but yeah, you know, when I somebody's drink... injured, you got to cover for them. Yeah. If someone's <laughs> under the weather, you gotta, you gotta make their highball. It's we're, we're next man up territory. Uh, I, I am drinking a concoction. My, my wife, made earlier and i thought it sounded pretty good uh it is mezcal with the juice of half a lime and then a stiegel raspberry rattler poured over that mm. um so you've got the the smoky mezcal you've got some raspberry and you've got some citrus to cut through it uh it, it it's pretty nice stiegel of course over in salzburg uh we we ate at their ate and drank <laughs> at their brewery when we were there couple years ago so soft spot in my heart for for stiegel with their little stair step uh logo and you know decent beverage too uh to the soccer let's do it all right dc united came out on the wrong end of another game in which they were arguably uh the better team arguably outplayed their opponent losing um Sunday night uh, to Philadelphia, one to nothing. Again, the story was very few real chances either way um, with the black and red unable to finish and the other guys capitalizing on a mistake. And that's how you get to, to one nothing. Before we talk about the game on the field, though, unfortunately, after the last couple of weeks, we, we do have to address what's happening in the stands because uh, lines are being crossed and it's not okay. Uh, last week, uh, it was throwing beer, cans, cups onto the field uh, because we, I guess we were mad at the ref for, for allowing Orlando to conca calf the game up. Uh, this week, it, that, that fire was turned on our own in the stands um, as Sam Kasner, who's the host of Tried and True, uh, another DC United podcast, who does post-game shows basically every week. They didn't this week because one of their hosts was attacked in the stands. Two of them, actually, uh, were, were attacked in the stands with throwing beer and other projectiles at them and verbally harassing them. Um, and that's not okay. That's never, ever okay. And I don't know why we have to say this. Um, also this week, there were homophobic chants coming from 
the supporter section. And I, I know we know better than that. So let's not do those things. And I, I just don't know what else to say. It's so obvious. Like you learn this stuff before kindergarten and yet here we are. Yeah, it's uh, quite frankly, like the whole thing is it's embarrassing um, to be affiliated with it in any kind of way, um, because like none of us are in a supporters group. Um, Adam, I don't think you were in the supporters section uh, at the game. No, I wasn't. Um, um, I'm on the other side of the stadium. Ben's a couple hours away, but we're still associated with DC United in some kind of way. And specifically for a fan site and a fan podcast. Um which means we're associated with DC United fandom. And right now, what is what is the idea of DC United fandom? Uh, it's these things. It's these episodes. It's, uh, you know, people sniping at each other online, people throwing things at each other in the stands, um, harassing each other to the point that people are feeling like I don't want to be there anymore. Um, and not just, you know, not just this game. You know, we've got friends that stopped going to games. Um, or friends that stopped being in supporters groups and changed, uh, switched to where they sit and just sort of said, I'm, I'm, this was such a big part of my life and I'm out of it now, uh, because of this. Um, so the stuff that's happened this year is maybe, you know, poking above the surface and getting noticed more, but it's not like this, these problems were, are just coming out, you know, this month. Um, there's been an issue in the stands for a while, um, even, even back at RFK. Uh, so things have been simmering for quite a while and, you know, I, I don't know what the solution is, um, but I know that it's not worth, um, it's not what, what the, the idea of having organized support isn't worth what's coming with it right now. Um, and so the club, I, I, I don't know that the club has supporters groups are giving them kind of some kind of warning, but I know that some of the supporters groups are making statements or changes internally um, which tells me that someone somewhere made a phone call and was like, listen, this, uh, this has to cut, this has to be cut out immediately, but I don't know. That's just a reading between the lines kind of thing. Um, and if they haven't made that call, then they really should. Um, but also the groups don't, shouldn't need to be told this kind of thing. It's not, and a lot, and, you know, to not completely crack down on every single person over there, there are people in the supporters groups who know all this stuff and are saying all this stuff and are trying to act on these things. Um, we just need more, a higher percentage of people in that in that boat uh, than what we've got right now, which is kind of making a mess of the whole enterprise. And once a fan base gets a certain kind of reputation, it's hard to shake that. I mean, we still like if I say the Orlando city supporters, uh, most people get a, an idea of of what that represents and a, a no one uh, is going to forget that they doxed a referee. Right. For right. Instance. Or if I say, or if we talk about the NYCFC supporters, everyone is going to think about the white supremacists that uh, are in some of the NYCFC supporters groups. And that's not a reputation that uh, individuals want in to uh, be a part of. That's not what the, uh, a group they want to associate with that with uh, themselves. And I'm sure that's not a reputation the team wants associated with uh, any of its groups. So it behooves everyone involved to make sure that this gets stamped out and stamped out quickly. 
this is not even to mention what happened at, at Segra Field last week as well, which is worth mentioning and condemning because mm-hmm. uh, yes. against New York Red Bulls 2, uh, a player on their team heard monkey chants directed at him from the, the Loudon Stampede section behind a goal, which is, again, beyond the pale. Like, this is not right. an okay way to act to anyone for any reason ever. Um, just there's even, even if it's like literally one person, um, that still requires, you know, an organized like people. If you want to be a part of a supporters group, part of that is holding everyone else to a certain standard of behavior. Um, and so if one person shows up and does that, for example, or throws one beer, uh, the idea of it being like, well, we need to be given more control over the stand. It's like, well, you couldn't control one person. You couldn't get one person to stop doing this. So, um, you know, and the other thing is like, as much as we talk about who controls, who is in charge of a supporter's section uh, in terms of, you know, policing the behavior, um, a lot of it really is just social pressure. Um, mm-hmm. And if if the club is in charge, quote unquote, um, they they might not be there, but you might still be staying next to somebody, and you you and your friends might be able to tell them like you can't you can't act like this, um, and you you might have to actually do something. You might you cannot just be like, well, you know, if I don't don't confront this person, they'll stop or things like that. Like I think right. we hit a point where people have to be confronted about this sort of thing, and it has to be you know if 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 it's a situation where you're worried about uh, violence or something like that there is security, but like there has to be something in place. That's more than just what you can't just be... be a bystander. There needs to be some right. level of bystander intervention in this. And it used like my conception of the supporters group was almost like a mosh pit for anyone who went to, you know, rock shows back in the day um, where, where it looked like chaos and violence from the outside. But if you were in it, everyone was taking care of each other. Everyone understood there was a code. If someone's, down you help them up you make sure they don't get trampled you get them out to safety if they need it but you're all in there together you are on the edge but you are all participating in a group activity that relies on each other keeping you you keeping each other safe and um i think that that's breaking apart a little bit in the chico stand and it's it's really depressing it's really sad and Everyone needs to do better. And if you are in a position of leadership in any supporters group, it, it's incumbent on you to, to step up and to make it better because you are setting the tone. And maybe maybe DC United has to become more vocal. I don't know. I don't know if that's the right approach. But if, if things keep going at this, the, the way it has for the past two weeks, um, there, there's going to be changes forced on the supporters. And I don't think anyone really wants it to get to that point. So it's up to the people in the stands to do better to make sure it doesn't. Um, so that having been aired uh, back on the field, uh, it, it was bad news to start this game. Edison Flores uh, pulled up lame basically at the opening whistle in the first minute of the game, just stopped, sat down, said, I can't go. I I don't know if there was any indication in warmups that he was, uh, struggling or not but uh it was it was very clear very quickly once the game started that he was going to have to be pulled yeah and and it you know it might have come from there was a he was involved with one 
uh, brief moment of action. Uh, so maybe it was an awkward landing. Um, well, hard it, to say. Go ahead, Ben. It, it looked like he got like it looked like there was contact from what I saw right. with the uh, with the Philadelphia player. Right. Um, and, and I specifically asked about Flores after the game. You know what happened and what was the prognosis. And at the time, it was he said he felt something in his leg. Um, they, you know, it, I think, I think this, this was like 30 seconds in and they did wait till the fourth minute before making the sub. Um, and there was a brief period of time where they were talking to him and it was clearly a, like, what are you feeling? What, what is it? Can you describe what's happening? Um, but at no, like Flores looked, you could, I, I couldn't at the time I didn't, I had to wait till the replay to actually, um, I had to pull this up later to see what actually happened because my seat in the press box is blocked on this game was blocked by a little outcropping from the, uh, the fancy seats. Um, but what I could see was Flores looking pretty down about the whole thing. Like he just, he knew pretty immediately that something was bad and he was not going to be able to keep playing. Um, and yeah, that's about the absolute worst way to start uh, a game against the union is to lose your most expensive player on literally the first time the ball was played forward. Uh, you lose that guy to who knows what. I mean, we know now Pablo Mauer reported it's a hamstring strain, um, but at the time it was just like, so wait, so what's the what's the problem here? Um, is he going to have to come out? And then it was, yes, yes, he is. And then he later limped around the sideline while the game was happening to get mm-hmm. to the tunnel um, underneath the South stand to go to the locker room. Um, really unfortunate. Uh, Paul Ariola moved from right wing back up to uh, Flores's forward spot, essentially alongside uh, Adrian Perez. And then Julian Gressel came in off the bench, basically played a full game, uh, but as a sub technically at right wing back. So changed things up a lot um, right away. Um, DC United reacted pretty well to it. They controlled most of the first half and all of the second half, but it was five minutes there at the end of the the first half that really cost them. Uh, Philly took over for those five minutes. You can't really deny that. And they, they made a goal count because of uh, a mistake on the back line. The, the offside line was jagged and Casper uh, Shabilko made them pay. Yeah, I mean, I'm not necessarily that too upset about an offside trap or anything like that because I don't know that they were necessarily looking to play one until Montero went with the pass. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, this is uh, the reason I wrote about it from this angle on the site was that um, we're seeing this now time and again where the other team makes the big play of the game. Um, Montero produced what I think is the best pass of the season against DC United. Um, with all due respect to that ball up the wing for Cade Cowell uh, in San Jose, um, I think this was the best one because he was under pressure uh, and because it was unexpected. It was not uh, what Montero looked like he was trying to do. He he made you know he gave everyone a misdirection and then played this perfect ball for Shabilko that uh, on a play that was so close that was actually initially called offside um, right. before. Uh, VAR got in Tim's for Tim Ford's. I, I keep pluralizing. I, I'm in the attorney's general mode for some reason. Um, <laughs> but uh, t- Tim Ford's ear. Uh, and you know, on the replay, yeah, it was a, a legit goal, just barely, but it was legit. Um, and that's kind of that's that's the frustrating thing right now is that 
DC is doing a bunch of stuff right, but there's always one play a game where the other team does something that's right by enough that they get something out of it. Um, and really a couple times, because Andre Blake also had uh, one excellent save um, in this game and a couple of other pretty good ones. Um, but yeah, those are the moments that are the the, the difference between winning this game uh, or not winning it because DC is doing most of the other stuff really well. They're canceling out their opponent. You know, they basically chased Jose Martinez out of this game. Um, so all of those things are good. A lot of teams have wanted to chase Martinez out of a game and they've instead been kind of undone by him. Um, DC did it. They did all this stuff, right? But uh, like literally chased him out of the game. He was subbed out. Yeah, he 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 was subbed out after picking up a card. Uh, like the moment he picked up the card, they were like, all right, we got to take it. Like he's already ineffective and now he's on a card. We got to pull him. Um, so all that stuff is great. Uh, but, you know, you've got to find a way to produce. You've got to produce that like one or two moments that go above and beyond your your day-to-day, your functional stuff. Um, the fundamental stuff, the basic stuff, DC is getting all of that right. It's just that they don't have that moment that's better than that and that's why the goals are hard to come by and and the other team keeps having one of those a game and that's why they you know that's why orlando got orlando did one thing and then did nothing else in the entire game and they won the game one nothing so it's maddening um because it's not like you say wow dc played they sure played like crap and they lost one nothing at home that's what happens when you play bad Instead, you say, like, they're really not playing badly. They're just also not sprinkling in that little bit of extra that you need to win games. And until they do that, this might happen a few more times. Yeah, we saw Adrian Perez take a lot of shots. Most of them were were pretty low percentage and, you know, not necessarily great shots. There was that one one on uh, uh, there was that one uh, give and go that he had with Mm -hmm. Areola early on that was really uh, some nice movement from both of them, but then he pushes the shot just wide of Andre Blake's uh, goal for a pretty, it didn't seem like Blake was very worried about it, but but the buildup was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there was a, num- a couple other times of pretty good buildup uh, or at least okay buildup. But uh, again, uh, not having a forward, an effective forward on the field, maybe we'll say a goal scoring forward, uh, has hurt the team. And then when Ola Kamara comes on, he doesn't really change anything. Well, some of this, some of the, some of this with Kamara, I will say, um, it does seem like Perez had a better understanding with Ariola and has definitely had it with Flores than he did with Kamara. There were moments where he didn't necessarily, right. he didn't anticipate Kamara's movements in part, I think, because he seems comfortable with guys who are making these indirect movements where it might be, you know, Ariola making a hard run towards towards Perez, um, or it might be Flores looking for a back heel, things like that. But it's not like Ola Kamara is a nine. He he's going to run in behind towards the goal. Um, so you have to look for that from him rather than him checking to you. He's gonna be running away. Um, and Perez maybe wasn't seeing that as much, you know. The good news, I think, is that this Flores injury kind of kind of is, is a pretty strong hint to me at least that Kamara is probably going to start um right in part because of just personnel um yeah but yeah with Sorga and Roberta both hurt uh yeah right. um and, and Kamara also played more minutes this was his longest uh stint in a game so he's also you know it's not just that they have to turn to him it's also that the slow build is getting to the point that they can actually start him um 
and they'll yeah, have three weeks after this game so for right. him to recover so uh but yeah the the thing that that there's a moment in the game where Perez didn't realize that Kamara was even going to make the run and he ended up trying an angled shot under pressure and he, it was right at Blake um but if you watch Kamara making the run Kamara escaped his man. He was wide open. If Perez knows that that run is there and just plays a cutback instead, it's Kamara open with Blake all the way to one side from about five yards out. It's probably, unless it's right, Romo exactly. Kyoto miss. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, like. Oh, poor Kyoto. Yeah, well, yeah. Unfortunately, he wasted it uh, in this past week and couldn't waste it last year uh, when they came here when he was brilliant, but also maybe shouldn't have been in the game anymore. Um, I have mixed, mixed Romo Kyoto feelings. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, if Perez is looking for that run from Kamara and maybe all he needs is just like a reminder that like, listen, we're playing you with a true nine next week. So you need to be anticipating that instead of the other stuff. Cause Ariola played the position broadly speaking, like Flores, it's a different, you know, it's not exactly yeah. the same, but he's definitely not making that run that Kamara was making. Um, but yeah, they have to, they're going to have to work on that because the addition of Kamara is going to bring more of a goal threat for sure. But only if you're giving him, if you're rewarding those runs, if you're not rewarding those runs, then he's actually, since he's running away, you're also losing that combination play. So if you don't reward the runs, you're trading away something that was good and you're not even rewarding the thing you got in exchange. So that is something that uh, they're going to be, I hopeful, I, I hope, have been working on already in training uh, and will be working on until they head to Miami. Um, but yeah, Perez, you know, I think this is the, it kind of sums up why he was out there um, for good and for, for bad, because he's obviously doing really well. He's showing, he showed some real physical strength in this game that he hadn't in, in uh, previous games or not that he hadn't, but maybe he hadn't had the opportunity to showcase um the the back to goal play the ability to combine with his forward partner um all of that stuff is really good but right now dc does need that one extra run from someone whether it's kamara or whether it's coming from the midfield someone's got to be making that run into the prime goal scoring territory everyone's looking to combine and work around that stuff but no one's just getting to the point and saying i'm running to the goal because i'm a goal scorer i'm gonna go here give me the ball here um, that sort of like demanding type A personality, uh, it isn't showing itself in the actual movement with the ball. And so that's another thing that's kind of neat, that kind of needs to get there because DC doesn't necessarily, like I just said that they need one big play. It doesn't have to be like a moment of genius. Um, we don't need a Wayne Rooney kind of setup where we have to wait for Rooney to do something to win the game or, and if he doesn't do the thing, then DC won't score. We don't need it to be that way. It, we can systematize this so where it's just like the whole team did something pretty good but not great, and it got to the point that one guy just had a fairly easy finish. Uh, but yeah, you, you, we're not making right. that pass either. Yeah, that I, I I will say a Wayne Rooney style forward who's able to combine in possession, lay it off, and then make that hard run to the near post and beat his man to to the ball there. That would be really nice right now. <laughs> it doesn't have to be Wayne Rooney. It doesn't have to be a, like. He made that simple play so many yes. times in his career. And like he was able to do the brilliant stuff too, but that simple play was was bread and butter. And we don't have anybody making that play. We haven't for years. And and that's one of the things we need right now. And maybe Ola Kamara can do it starting next week. Um another guy I thought who struggled uh going forward, I think probably because United had so much of the ball in this one was Joseph Mora. 
out on the left uh, at, at left wing back. He would get out there and he would be have a man one on one and he would generally pass it back. He he almost didn't even try to beat a man because he's not a dribbler. He's we've talked about it before. When he dribbles someone, it's usually because he's already running at pace and he is able to touch the ball by them and and because he's got momentum, beat them to the the ball. Um and he's a great slide tackler and positional defender, but he's he's not someone who's going to get out and create. Uh his his idea is to send in a cross. And if the cross isn't on, then who knows? And if he doesn't have space to do the cross, he's going to get blocked. Um, Kevin Paredes came in for him for the second game in a row and made a difference. I thought he was able to uh, create a little bit and beat men on the dribble and get inside and combine. Uh, He's the one that forced uh, Andre Blake into his one really good save on the night. So I want to see Kevin Paredes start. I don't know if he's got the legs at this point. I hope he does. He's, he's a teenager. He should have the legs. Um, but against Miami, I want that ability to attack on the outside from the jump, uh, especially with three center backs behind him and Russell Knauss back in midfield to, to help out on the defensive side. In general, I, I want Paredes out there. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think at this point, what, what I'd like to see is I, I agree. Um, United needs to maybe take a little risk here. Um, and risk something defensively by um, playing Paredes and, and trying to force the issue on that side. Um, and, and what I'd like to see, you know, let's say because he's only played 30 minutes, so maybe it is a minutes concern. But, you know, if he played 30 and he didn't, he said he felt fine after the game. Um, if that's still the case when they get to Miami um, and you say, okay, we can build him up at only to 45, play him from the start, uh, pursue the positive game state, uh, go aggressive, try to get that lead and not, and not end up having to play against a team that has sent on their fifth defender and blah, blah, blah. We, we've seen that. It's, it's no good. Um, get aggressive, go pursue. And, and I don't think we have to tell Losada to be aggressive, but you know, what I'm hoping is that that, you know, manifests in the more aggressive personnel choice, which is Paredes over Mora, despite being on the road. Because I think Miami, we'll talk about this uh, in our Miami segment uh, later on, but they're vulnerable. This is a team that you can beat with someone like Paredes. And if you can only get 45 minutes out of him, I say put those minutes up front. Go get the game at 0-0. Don't let it become one nothing and and become a game where the other team is, has now decided, okay, this is what we're doing. We're packing it in. Um, we're, we're content to sit deep and, and that's that, um, that's no good. We need, we saw DC get out in front against Chicago and they didn't manage the game very well, but it was still a lot more fun to manage that game one, nothing than to have an early one, nothing deficit to try and chip away at all game and not do it. So, um, that's what I'd like to see. I want this to be an aggressive selection, regardless of it being a road game. So we've, we've talked about this before, but I think it's worth mentioning again, uh, given some of the comments I've seen uh, on Black and Red United and elsewhere uh, about the lack of attack, given Losada's statements and reputation coming into this game uh, or coming into the season, he talked about how he'd rather win a game 5-4 than one nothing, um, And how we, we all expected a lot of shootouts, especially with the implementation of a new pressing system and how a lot of times in the past in MLS, when you are trying to install... Uh, a high wire act of a defensive system, you're going to get burnt a lot at the outset. 
And DC United mostly hasn't so far. And Jason, you pointed out, because you beat me to the punch, that in his first season at Bearscoat in the second division, there were a lot of games like this that were one nothing, 2-1, lower scoring affairs than we saw when they were in the top flight. And you commented on it in preseason that the emphasis seems to be a, t- a defending shape, pressing shape, first and foremost. The principles are there. And I, I think it you can kind of see into Losada's mind a little bit here where it is even the talk of verticality. It's a defense into attack. Everything starts with the defense with this team. Uh, that doesn't mean that they are always gunning for a shutout over anything else, but everything has to start on defense. You win the ball through your pressing and then turn that into attack. That's the verticality he talked about. It wasn't, it is vertical from uh, goal kicks when they can manage it, but the idea is that you turn them over and you go. And he's obviously tactically astute to know who to take away on the other team as well to prevent them from building their attack and evading the press. So it's very clear that, that defense is where things start. And I think we'll see more attacking movements and principles come to the fore over the course of the season. It's got to start happening soon, of course, for them to have any chance to do anything with this season. But I, I, I wanted to point that out, given a lot of comments expressing surprise at the the defensive rigidity of, of DC United so far and the lack of attack, given what we were expecting. Well, and I know... I know I've mentioned this before, but I mean, he hasn't, he's basically hasn't signed anybody for his preferred system so far. I mean, he posted for Roberta and we haven't seen him yet. So the, the, it, the uh, jury's out on that one, but, but the, uh, he hasn't been able to sign many defenders, defenders. I think they came in before he got here. Uh, uh, Heinzeich, I think came in. Heinzeik and Alfaro came in after. They both the, did. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, uh, Alfaro as, wasn't expected to start. Right. He didn't get to pick any wingbacks and wingbacks are important to this, uh, to this formation. So I know it's frustrating, but I, I'm try, at least trying to withhold full judgment until at least after the summer window happens. I mean, obviously we see what's on the field right now, but at least to me, it doesn't feel like, a matter of coaching right now. It's a matter right. of execution. I yeah, I, I agree. And I think if an unlucky bounce turns into a neutral bounce or a lucky bounce, DC United might have six more points than they have right now. Um, that's how close the margins have been, which, I mean, 12 points puts you uh, second place in, in the East. That puts you level with Orlando and just behind New England. Hey, two teams DC United lost to this year on very narrow margins. So that's kind of how close things are right now. And I'm like, I'm optimistic. I think that the team will improve attacking both just through natural development over the course of the season and also whatever acquisitions we see this summer. Um, but I'm, I, I am more impressed than anything by the, defensive stature of the team so far this year um because i think that that can that's replicable i think that can stick around um and before i mean the, the the thing i'll add is just that um 
the team is not it, like the emphasis on defending doesn't mean that the team is being boring. Um, right. They're which, obviously not. Um, I, you know, I, I think there's almost a, an expectation that they have to be conceding goals for it to be exciting. Um, they are taking risks. They are still sending men forward. Um, you, when you watch them attack, the number of DC shirts in the other team's half is higher than we're used to. Um, all of that stuff is getting better. It's not there yet. Um, but that's some of it is the fact that uh, the team has generally been missing uh, various players and has been trying to, you know, onboard guys or like, you know, we've got Drew Skundrich right now keeping Yamil Assad out of the team. That wasn't really the plan. Um, <laughs> and that's, you know, Skundrich is doing a good job of, I was telling someone this at at the game, it seems like what he's done really well is he's been really smart and uh, he's obviously extremely fit and can run forever. And so he's been really good at sort of playing, you know, the other team's defensive midfielder, or if he's in the three, five, two, someone who's in his uh, half of the field, kind of playing that player to a standstill. Um, so if you're able to do that, uh, that's all that stuff is well and good, but what it's taking away from is getting uh, a little bit more of uh, what Losada refers to as automatics. He yep. wants these movements to be more understood uh, well in advance. And the players haven't had a lot of time to work on a lot of that stuff um, because the first focus was let's get organized within the formation. Let's understand the press. These are your pressing triggers. All of these things take time and different pressing triggers for different teams mean that every week, some of the, some of the week is going towards that stuff. Um, I do think DC needs to start, you know, changing the balance of that towards uh, the attack and take the risk of like, we're going to spend more of our time this week in training, working on attacking things because we need to get a goal. Um, we need to get that going for our own, you know, state of state of mind basically right now to keep uh, our attackers confident to keep ourselves uh, in these games where we don't have, it doesn't have to be, we did the one great play of the game. We have to, you know, open things up a little bit going that way. But um, there is a weird idea that if DC's defense is not giving up many shots or anything, it must mean because they are defensive. Uh, but that's not what's happening. They are doing a good job of disrupting the other team without being conservative, um, which is a very, it's a, that's a challenging thing. There's a reason why most teams that have a good defensive record tend to just be defensive. Um DC is right. not you really think of doing Nashville that. or or DC in 2014. Right. You you think of teams that sit up in a mid to low block, not a team that's selling out on the press. Um and in DC United is they're just not getting that when the ball turns over, they're not immediately hitting the pass that they know. Like we saw a little bit of that in the the first week actually against NYC. They were passes to nobody. Mm -hmm. And so it may have been a choice to dial that back until they they understand the run that's supposed to be made and how to find it. And so there's a lot of thinking going on when the ball turns over instead of just playing vertical and going. Uh, you have to build up to that, I guess. And that's fine. And I think they will. Um, it's just, and I would like it run, to happen. Sometimes the <laughs> runs haven't been there either. Um, yeah. There, there are yeah. a lot of looks to combine, uh, which is all well and good and has looked at times pretty good. I, I really enjoyed some of the combination play. It's just that that one extra run that goes in behind that that turns that combination into something much more dangerous that isn't there, 
And so maybe right, Perez and Ariola. Yeah. yeah. So Perez and Ariola yeah. come with a great combination and they open things up and now the attack starts to move forward. But instead of being be, having that option of being like, oh, we don't have to wait for the rest of the group. We can just go. We can keep going. Um, that option isn't even there. So they do have to wait for the rest of the group. Um, right. And so it slows things down just enough where it becomes difficult and, and they're, they want to play fast, but they aren't, they aren't adding that run that allows you to play fast all the time. Um, and, right. and until One that run benefits. starts, you know, until they start getting that run, they won't be able to play as fast as I think we, we imagined they would be playing. Yeah. One of the benefits to a press that you want to turn into instant offense is that you have players forward already because they're pressing the other team and they're able, they don't have to come from deep. And so, it should be easier to convert those in and in, in to make those runs. They're just not, they're not there yet. And so that little hesitation is why there are so many blocked shots that this team has. Like a lot of the reason they're not forcing saves is because those shots are blocked at the, the point of the shot. And that, you know, if they can get just a little bit quicker, then those blocks don't happen, or maybe they turn into a light deflection and those are a goalkeeper's nightmare. So they're getting close. Uh, one more piece of good news before we we call it a show is Donovan Pines made his return to the field, his 2021 debut, subbing in for a cramping Tony Alfaro in the second half of this one. The cramping part, not so good news. Uh, but Donovan Pines on the field is a good thing to see again. Um, I, I think he's got to expect him to to earn a starter's role on this somewhere in that three-man back line. And... Um, He's going to be dangerous on set pieces. He's going to win a lot of individual battles in defense. And uh, it's good to see him. It's good to see the big man out there. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think if he's got a few more minutes in his legs, we'll probably see it. Um, I think I think it's probably pretty clear to the team uh, how important he can be, especially if they do start getting better at getting vertical and turning these games into more of a track meet. Um, having someone that can run very fast, like Donovan Pines, makes that much more viable. Um, we saw it. I kind of, you know, the press conference was actually very short for whatever reason after this game. I don't think it was on. I don't think it was like Lozada just wanted to get out of there, but for whatever reason, it was shorter. Um, so one question no one really got to ask was what went into the choice to take Briant out um, and play a faster but smaller back uh, back three. Um, with Pines, though, I don't think uh, if the choice is like, well, the other team has a lot of athleticism and speed, uh, we don't want to expose Briant to that. Well, with Pines, you don't have to worry about that side of the game. Um, so I, I am interested to see how they uh, approach a team like Miami running through a f- forward who is not exactly fast at this point in his life, um, is much more of a thinker than a runner. Um, but either way, you know, <laughs> Pines, regardless of whether it's against speed or against uh, a crafty veteran type, um, if he's fit enough to start, then he's probably got to be in there, you would imagine, because uh, we know what he can do. And I think this back three might suit him a little bit more than a back four even. So uh, hopefully he's getting there. uh, But that's one of the mysteries that we don't have an answer to just yet is exactly how far along he really is. Well, we'll find out against Miami and we'll have more on that game later this week unless you're a patreon subscriber in which case you will get it very very soon you won't have to wait as long patreon.com slash filibuster is where you can sign up for for that it, you know support us financially in the process find us otherwise at black and on twitter at filibuster dcu for the podcast at black and red U for 
that website filibusterpodcast at gmail.com is where you can send your emails whatever they may regard you know try to keep it about the show or about dc united but you know really whatever you you want to send us we'll read find us wherever you get your podcasts uh obviously download and subscribe but ratings and reviews i'm told are very helpful so we appreciate all of those we especially appreciate it when you tell a friend about the show so uh when you're watching the game this weekend at a socially distanced party or a, a, a watch party for vaccinated folks, then uh, just mention the podcast and what you learned and we will really appreciate it. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Blue angels, do not fly five feet over my house at 8 a.m., please. <laughs> <laughs>